Acts chapter 1. Isn't this an amazing book right here? All we did was announce that we were going to open this book and read from it and talk about it. And look at how many people showed up tonight <laughs> just for that reason. This is, there's, no other book, there's no other book in the world that you could, you could announce week after week after week after week after week. We're going to open the same book. We're going to read some of the same passages we already read before. And we're going to talk about them. And people would show up to hear it week after week. There's not another book like it in the entire world. And we're very, uh, we're very privileged to have a copy of it uh, in our language and, have, and live in a country where we're free to carry it and read it and study it and assemble because of it and so forth. Acts chapter 1, did you find that? After Jesus Christ rose from the dead, just before he went back to heaven, he got the apostles together and he made them a promise. And I want to read that promise. Look at Acts chapter 1 and look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So he promised them there in verse of chapter 1 that when the Holy Ghost came, they would receive power, and with that power they would become witnesses. All right, now if you would, please turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to use our Bible a lot tonight, so if you'll stay with me, I'd appreciate it. Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 1. Verse 1 says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it set upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost. When the Holy Ghost came in Acts, the first few verses, now... They uh, have the wherewithal to receive the promise that he promised them that they would receive power and they would become witnesses. So now let's look at chapter 2, verse 41, if you would. I'm in Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to look at verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 Souls, <laughs> Would you say they got it? <laughs> Would you say that they got the promise? He said you'll receive power, and with that power you'll become witnesses. If you add 3,000 new converts in one day, I say they got the power. <laughs> I say they became, they became witnesses. All right, now if you would, look in Acts chapter 4. Already they've added 3,000. Now, you may remember in Acts chapter 1, you don't need to turn back there, but the first time they got together, the Bible says the number of the names together were about 120. If you take 120 and you add 3,000, are you good enough at math to, to figure this out? They had 3,120. Okay, now if you would, look in Acts chapter 4 at verse 4. Chapter 4, verse 4 says, Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men 
was about 5,000. So are you good enough at math to go one more step? If you have 120 and you add 3,000, now you have 3,120. But now if you add 5,000, you have 8,120. But wait a minute, look and see what that verse actually said. Go back to verse 4 again. It says, how be it many of them which heard, uh, heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. Now, I've been saved 52 years, and I've been in many large meetings where uh, large numbers of people got saved. I've been in several extended meetings where a series of meetings and a large number of people got saved in those meetings. I have never one time, and I've been in many of them, I've never one time been in any meeting where a large number of people got saved and there were more men saved than there was ladies. Now, it may have happened before, but I've never been in a meeting like that. Oh, I've been in a meeting where three got saved and two of them were men and one was a lady. But I've never been in a meeting where dozens or scores or even hundreds got saved. And I've been in some of those kind of meetings. You remember, uh, no, you wouldn't have been there yet. But one night we had a uh, meeting at the amphitheater in Chicago. The amphitheater is the same auditorium where they had the Democratic Convention in 1968, where they had the big riots and all that. You remember that? In that same building, we had a service one night. We had over 12,000 people in that service. The man who ran the building, who had been in charge for 30 years, said that the night we had our service, it was the largest number of people that had ever been in that building. And I don't remember exactly how many got saved that night, but I know we baptized 689 people that night. We had, we had five baptistries set up in the front of the auditorium that night, and we stayed there and baptized for over two hours. We baptized 689 people that night. I've been in meetings where large number of people got saved. I've never been in a meeting where more men got saved than women. So I, I don't think it's extremely unreasonable to assume that if there were many saved and the number of men saved were 5,000, I don't think it's stretching the point any to say there could have possibly been 5,000 women who got saved also. And I'll tell you another, I've never been in a meeting where more adults got saved than children in a large meeting where large numbers of people got saved. So if 5,000 adults got saved, I don't think it's stretching the point any to assume there could have possibly been as many as 10,000, if 10,000 adults got saved, there could have been 10,000 children or more. But I'm going to be conservative and only use the number that the Bible actually uses in this place here. And I'm going to say that we have at least 8,120 people now in the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. All right, now if you would turn to Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 5, look at verse 14 if you would please. Verse 14 of Acts chapter 5 says... And believers were the more added. We'll come back to that phrase in just a moment. Uh, were the more added to the Lord. Multitudes both of men and women. Now I'm going to admit to you, I don't know what a multitude is. The Bible doesn't clearly tell us what a multitude is. But when it says there were more added, I get the impression a multitude is more than 120. I get the impression that a multitude is more than 3,000. When it says the more were added, I get the impression that a multitude is more than 5,000. 
I don't know how many multitude is. Was it 10,000? I don't know. Was it 20,000? I don't know. But I believe it was more than 5,009. <laughs> because I believe if they counted 120, and they counted 3,000, and they counted 5,000, if on this day they had gotten to 5,000 and looked over there, and there were nine more, I think they'd have kept on counting. <laughs> but when they looked over there and said, Wow, there's, man, I don't know how many more. And somebody said, if we keep counting, we're going to miss the kickoff. And somebody else said, yeah, and that roast that my wife has in the oven is going to burn. And so somebody said, well, let's just call it a multitude. So I don't know what a multitude is, but okay, I'll tell you this. I think it's more than 5,100. Because again, if they counted 5,000, I think if they'd have looked over there and there'd been about 100 more left, they'd have kept counting. I think there were at least a few hundred more, maybe a few thousand more. I don't know. Okay, let's be real conservative and let's say it, a multitude could be maybe as many as 5,500. I don't think that's stretching the point much if we just pick a number and say, okay, it might have been 5,500. If a multitude is 5,500, now honestly, I believe it was many more than that, but let's be conservative. If a multitude is 5,500, now I know I may have lost you in the math by now when I get to this point. I know some of you don't like math, so don't zone me out. I'll do the math for you, and I'll tell you when we get to the end. But uh, if you take five, if you take 8,120 and you add 5,500, now you've got 13,620 in the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. But wait a minute, look what verse 14 said. Verse 14 said, And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, plural, both of men and women. It didn't say a multitude of men and women. It said multitudes. So if we said a multitude is 5,500, if there was a multitude of men, then maybe there was a multitude of women. It said multitudes, plural. So now that's, that's 11,000, but I'm just going to be very conservative and say 5,500. So now we have, uh, we have 13,620, but if we had used any of the other numbers that might have been reasonable, we'd be over 30,000 by now. Okay, now look at Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In Acts chapter 6, verse 1, it says... And in those days, when the number of the disciples was, oh, there's a new word, multiplied. Up till now, we added 3,000. We added 5,000. We added a multitude, or better yet, some multitudes. But now, we're not adding anymore. Now, we're multiplying. Hey, you remember when you were in about the fourth grade? And you thought you had this math stuff all figured out? You know, you could not only add, but by then you could also subtract. You remember sitting there in your desk thinking, what are we going to do for the next eight years that I'm in school? I've already learned all there is to learn. I can both add and subtract. And then all of a sudden, your teacher came out with these things called 
multiplication tables. <laughs> you remember those? You remember those charts she brought out had all those numbers on there and your head was spinning and she said you were going to memorize all of those numbers? <laughs> but do you remember the very first thing she taught you? Was if you multiply a number times one, you still have the same number. Remember that? Remember that very first thing she taught you about multiplication? So when it says here that the number of the disciples were multiplied, I don't think it means they were multiplied times one. I think they were multiplied times two at least, or six or eight, I don't know, but at least two. And if you multiply 13,620 times 2, now you're up to 27,240. But you could easily be over 60,000 by now. And in fact, Brother Brian, every single theologian that I have ever read, every Bible scholar I have ever read, they all agree that by this time that the, the First Baptist Church in Jerusalem probably had a little over 100,000 members. But I'm going to be very conservative and say they had at least 27,240. And I know you may be wondering, well, what difference does it make? Where are you going with this? All right, turn to Acts chapter 8. Turn to Acts chapter 8. I'm glad you asked because I'm going to answer your question. Acts chapter 8, look at verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. His death is referring to Stephen, the deacon that was stoned to death, the deacon of the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem that was stoned to death back in chapter 7. And Saul was consenting unto his death. Saul, Saul is uh, Saul of Tarsus. You remember him, Saul of Tarsus. And it says he was consenting unto his death. Now, the word consenting there is a little stronger than you and I would think of the word consenting. You know, if I am consenting to let Brother Brian do something, that means I'm going to sit over here and watch him do it, and I won't interfere with what he does. I'm consenting to let him do it. That's the way you and I look at the term today. Back in 1611, when the King James Bible was translated from the Greek and the New Testament to the English, it, that word consenting had a stronger meaning. It meant uh, he was involved, he was, he was organizing, he was leading it, and I'll show you that in the Scripture in just a moment. All right, let's continue reading verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time, at what time? At the time after Stephen had been stoned to death, at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. You know, I'm afraid that sometimes I'm guilty of reading my Bible a little too fast. And I'm afraid there's sometimes when I come to a phrase like great persecution, I just kind of skip right over that. I just, I just see the words and it, it just goes right through my brain. And I wonder if we ever take time to really stop and think and realize what it means when it says a great persecution. I mean, already uh, Jesus had been crucified. Already the Jews had assembled uh, with the doors shut for fear of the Jews. Already in Acts chapter 2, they had been mocked. 
Already in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John had been arrested and put in prison and kept overnight and put on trial the next day and then uh, 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 told not to speak in Jesus' name anymore and threatened to turn loose. In Acts chapter 5, all the apostles were arrested, kept uh, put in prison, and an angel came and let them out in the middle of the night. The next morning they were rearrested, put on trial with false witnesses, and were sentenced to death. And I guess all of them would have been killed if Gamaliel hadn't have spoken up for them. But then they were beaten and turned loose. And then in Acts chapter 6 and 7, Stephen was stoned to death. And then after all that, now a great persecution arose against the church. Well, let's see what that was. Let's look at verse 1 again. And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time... There was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they, the members of the church, were all, notice that word, scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Would you look at me just for a minute? If you take the Bible literal, which I do, it said they were all scattered abroad. And I know you could say, well, Brother Young, that's just a general phrase. It, it, it's just saying that, you know, like we all went to town yesterday. No, the Bible very clearly clarifies the statement by saying they were all scattered abroad except the apostles. You know what that means? That means 27,228 left town. And the 12 apostles stayed there in town. And I know somebody could say, oh, Brother Young, do you really believe that, that 27,000 people plus uh, left town? Well, have you seen the news lately? You know what's going on in Ukraine? I checked a website and it said that 7.1 million. And another website I checked said 7.4 million people have fled Ukraine in the last few months because of the war. If 7 million can leave Ukraine, I believe 27,000 or maybe even as many as 100,000 could leave the city of Jerusalem. So let's look now at verse 3. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church. See, he's the one organizing this thing. Entering into every house and hailing or hauling or dragging men and women committed them to prison. Now, can I admit another thing to you here right quick? I don't know for sure what every house refers to. I don't know if it means every house in the city of Jerusalem. Did they go to every single house in the whole city looking for these Christians? Or does it mean they somehow got a list of the ch church members and they went to every house of the church members? I don't know. But either way, it's either hundreds of houses... Uh, 27,000 members or maybe 100,000 members. There's hundreds of houses or maybe even thousands of houses. So I don't think it means that Saul personally went to every single house. You know, we say in World War II, Hitler killed 6 million Jews. But that we don't mean Hitler took a gun and pulled the trigger 6 million times. Hitler was in charge of it. Paul was in charge of this thing, and they went to every house looking for these Christians, dragging them out of their house, putting them in prison, torturing them to death. And then look at verse 4. Therefore they, the members of the church, that were scattered abroad, went everywhere preaching the word. Now we're going to turn to one last place. Turn to chapter 11. 
Turn to chapter 11 and I'll show you what, what I was leading up to with all, this with all this background information. Acts chapter 11, I'm going to begin in verse 19. Verse 19 says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, we just read all of that, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. Okay, would you look at me just for a moment? These 27,000 people, or maybe as many as 100,000 people, that were in Jerusalem who got saved and were added to the church or multiplied into the church, they were basically Jews. Now, there were a few others, like on the day of Pentecost, different people had come from different places and were there and got saved. But mainly, there in Jerusalem at that time, these were Jews that were getting saved. And so when they scattered abroad, these Jews preached the gospel to other Jews until verse 20. Now look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, or the Greeks, or the Gentiles, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and they, notice this phrase, great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings, or news, of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, those 12 apostles that were left, plus whatever new converts they've won to Christ by now. And they, the members of the church in Jerusalem, sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he, Barnabas, came to Antioch and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And, notice the phrase, much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas, departed he, you know, he departed from Antioch to Tarsus. That was Saul's hometown. Saul's now saved and back in his hometown. Verse 25 says, Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he, Barnabas, had found him, Saul, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they, Barnabas and Saul, assembled themselves with the church and taught, notice this phrase, much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And right there, look at me for a moment, right there, the entire focal point of the entire New Testament shifted from Jerusalem to Antioch. Up until this time, uh, the three main characters in the book of uh, Acts was Peter, James, and John. From this point forward, the three main characters are Paul, Barnabas, and Silas. Up to this point, all of the missionaries had come out of Jerusalem, Peter and John and Philip and others, and the gospel was coming out of Jerusalem. And everybody was reporting back to Jerusalem uh, after they had been to the different places like, uh, like uh, Caesarea and different places. Uh, they reported back to Jerusalem. But from this point forward, every missionary comes out of Antioch. And every missionary reports back to Antioch. And Jerusalem lost, listen to this statement, the gospel. The holy city. Jerusalem, where the temple was. 
Jerusalem, where David's palace was, where Jesus was born, not in the city, but in a suburb near there. Uh, Jerusalem, where the Holy Ghost came to the upper room for the first time, where Calvary is, where the empty tomb is, where they had a church with maybe 100,000 members. And until this day, you would have a hard time finding the gospel in Jerusalem. If you were in Jerusalem, I'm talking about the holy city. If you were in Jerusalem tonight and you wanted to get saved, you'd have a hard time finding the gospel. About 15 years ago, when I took my first group to Jerusalem uh, on a tour, I had 46 people in my group. And I thought it'd be kind of cool to go to church on Sunday morning in Jerusalem. I, thought, I just thought that'd be a cool thing to do. So I planned my trip in such a way that we would be in Jerusalem on Sunday morning. So I looked it up and looked up all the Baptist churches in Jerusalem. And I was going to pick one so we could go to church there. And when I, now it may be different tonight, but 15 years ago, I found one, one Baptist church in the city of Jerusalem. One. The holy city. So I called the pastor. And I said to the pastor, I'm from First Baptist Church Hammond. I'm bringing a group of 46 people. Uh, We'd like to attend your church service. He said, oh, I am so delighted to hear from you. He said, if any group in the world were going to come visit my church, I'd love for it to be the First Baptist Church of Hammond. He said, in fact, 40 years ago at that time, he said, 40 years ago when I started this church, the very first church that sent me an offering to help me start my church was the First Baptist Church of, Jerusalem, uh, First Baptist church of Hammond. He said, you, you sent me $1,000. And he said, I'd love to have you visit my service, but you wouldn't fit. He said, with my 15 people and your 46, we couldn't get them in my auditorium. The First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. He said, but I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll move my a little bit and I'll, uh, we'll have a quick service and we'll get out of the way and we'll let you come in behind us and you can use my auditorium and you can have your church service in my auditorium. So when we got there that day, we parked our bus down at the bottom of the hill. I don't remember the name of the street, but it was a big wide boulevard. We walked up the hill about two blocks. When we got to the top of the hill, we turned right. We went down a side road for about a half a block. And then we turned right again and we went down an alley. We went about halfway down that alley. And we came to the back of a building where there was a set of steps leading up the back of the building. I mean, kind of steps like on the outside of the building they went up the outside of the building like this on the side, and no handrail just just little narrow set of steps went up to the roof of the building and when we walked up those steps we stepped off the top step onto the roof of the building and I don't mean a patio with furniture and a, and a, and a, and a little railing around it I mean the flat roof of a building and when we got off those steps we were over here on this corner and we walked cat corner across the uh, uh, the the building got over here there was a door kind of like that door there open that door and we a narrow very steep set of steps in, 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 in a dark little stairwell there and when we got to the top we opened the door and we stepped into the auditorium of the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem it was about as big as this section of the auditorium 
four or five, I don't remember, four or five rows deep. That was the entire auditorium for the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. To get my crowd in, I brought a few people in and set them on the front row and there was an aisle in the middle and I got some extra chairs and put them and blocked the aisle and set people there. I did the same thing on the second row, the same thing on the third row, the same thing on the fourth row. When I got to the back of the auditorium, I still had some people left over. I couldn't seat all my 46 people. So I brought some of them up and let them sit on the platform with me and the other fellows that were conducting the service that morning. And at the end of the service, we were giving the invitation and for the first time, I noticed that right over here on this side, there was a, a set of French doors here, and they were open. And just like these folks are sitting over here, there was a side room over there that was about third as big as the auditorium. The auditorium in that room was the entire complex for the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. And in that room, there were about four or five people sitting in chairs. And I hadn't even noticed they were there while we were conducting our service. But they were sitting there watching us conduct our service. And there was a lady sitting in a chair. She was probably 30, 35 years of age. Well, since it's a lady, I'll say she was 30. She was sitting there in one of those chairs. She was watching us conduct our service. And during the invitation, I happened to look over and she was sobbing. I don't mean wiping tears off her face. I mean heaving, sobbing, crying uncontrollably. Well, I thought, well, praise the Lord. She's under conviction. I'll go help her get saved. And I came down off the platform and made my way through the crowd of my people that were all packed in there. And I got over to her and I asked her if I could help her get saved. And she said, oh, I've been saved for many, many years. And I said, well, well, well you know, do you have a burden? Is there something I can pray with you about? And she just just could barely talk. She took a couple of deep breaths and she said, she said, I've been saved for years. She said, I've been attending this church for years and years. She said, this is the first time in my life I have ever seen this many Christians in one place. Jerusalem. If Jerusalem can lose the gospel Chino can lose the gospel if Jerusalem can lose the gospel Ontario can lose the gospel you say oh brother young <laughs> this is America <laughs> I mean you know we started this country on Christian foundation and, and uh, it happened to England there was a day when England was the hotbed of fundamental of, of, of the gospel of any place in the world. That's where all the missionaries used to come from. Hey, that's where William Carey came from. That's where Hudson Taylor came from. That's where David Livingston came from. Find me one, one missionary anywhere on the face of the earth tonight building a red-hot, soul-winning uh, 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 ministry that came from England find me one anywhere anywhere on the earth you won't if England can lose the gospel uh, I, I preached this sermon and in, 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 uh, you, you know Kevin Cowling our graduate the pastors in Phoenix Arizona I preached this sermon in his church about two months ago he got up when I finished preaching and said you folks know 
that went with me, he said there was 26 of us that went on a missions trip to, to England. He said we spent, I think it was eight or ten days in England. He said all 26 of us went out on the street every single day for an hour or two and tried to pass out tracks. He said in ten days' time, 26 of us found a total of 18 people that would even accept a track from us. 18 people. If it can happen to England, it can happen to America. If it can happen to Jerusalem, it can happen to... Do you know that tonight, right now, tonight, there are missionaries, missionaries in America that came from Mexico. And I'm not against that. I'm for it. I'm praise the Lord. I'm glad they're here. Kevin graduated with the pastors in Mexico City. He trained missionaries and sent them to America to build churches to reach Hispanic-speaking people in America. Did you ever think you would live in a day when missionaries would be coming to America? I'm glad they're here. I hope more of them come. But I never thought I'd live in that day. Now, I am not personally a doomsday preacher. I'm not against them. Some men feel that calling, and God bless them. I'm not against them, but I'm just, I'm just, that's not my calling. I'm, I'm not the type that's going to stand up here tonight and say, now that the Democrats are in charge, we'll never get to preach again, and we'll never be able to. No, no, I don't believe that at all. I have no idea how much longer we'll be able to give out the gospel here in America, but I do know this. We can give out the gospel this week. We can give out the gospel this month. We can give out the gospel this year. And what you and I need to do is take advantage of that. Every one of us need to leave here tonight with some tracks in our hand. Every one of us need to leave here tonight with some prospects that we're going to go visit this week. Every one of us need to leave here tonight with somebody on our heart that God has placed on our heart that we're going to say this week, somehow, I'm going to find them, I'm going to get in touch with them, and I'm going to invite them one more time to come to church with me next week. Because right now, we have that opportunity. I don't know how much longer we will. It may be 10 years, it may be 10 generations. But I know we have the next 10 days, unless Jesus comes back. So let's do our part, every one of us. I'd like to have every head and every eye closed. I wonder who would not. I believe the whole remind tonight of my that I should be doing. The Holy Spirit has reminded me I should be witnessing to the parents of the children in my Sunday school class. I should be visiting some of the children in my area and inviting them to come to church with me. Uh, I should be making sure I have some tracks in my pocket and passing them out. My pastor often says, you know who gives out tracks, don't you? And then he'll say, those who have them. <laughs> I wonder who tonight would say the Holy Spirit has reminded me that the next time the church gets together to go out soul winning together or go out passing out tracts or hanging door hangers, I think you call them, or knocking on 
scores or passing out flyers or whatever it is, I feel like the Holy Spirit has reminded me that I need to take advantage of the opportunity we have at this time and do my part or maybe do a little more than I've been doing. Brother Young, tonight I'm making a vow to God that I'm going to do my part, what the Holy Spirit reminds me and leads me to do. Would you slip your hand up tonight? I'm going to do my part. 